when you take a survey and you ask, are you working too hard? Some people might say, yes, I am. Others might say, no, I'm fine. But often, you know, a lot of people who really work long hours are not self-aware and they persist to say, I'm okay. I don't need the time off. And it's, sometimes it's a badge of honor to not even take PTO. How often have you heard somebody say, well, I haven't taken a vacation in like 18 months, right? And we don't want that, right? As employers and as fellow human beings, we want people to go take their break, to be re-energized, and then to kind of avoid them getting burned out. That was Ramon Chin, Chief Product Officer at ActiveTrack. Ramon is one of the most brilliant and insightful people that we've had on the show. And this week, we speak with him about how ActiveTrack's workforce analytics products are helping companies adapt and thrive in today's hybrid work environment. I thoroughly enjoy speaking with Ramon, and I cannot wait to get started. Welcome to this week's episode of Capital Geek. Hello, Ramon. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, thank you, Josh, for having me. I'm super excited to speak with you and, and learn more about you. I can't believe you've been at ActiveTrack this whole time and we haven't met yet. So I'm really excited and looking forward to this conversation. Yes, same here, same here. Maybe we could start with just giving the audience a brief introduction to who you are and what, what you do at ActiveTrack. Sure, sure. Well, um, first of all, ActiveTrack, you know, what does ActiveTrack do? We're a, a workforce analytics platform and our focus is to empower employees to work wiser and enable organizations to optimize productivity. And with that context, uh, my role there is as the chief product officer, and I'm responsible for product strategy and product management. Ramon, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your path into technology. Sure, Josh, thanks for asking. Well, uh, with the accent, as you might be able to tell a little bit, I was actually born in England and then my parents moved to Singapore uh, where I had a lot of relatives and I grew up there until uh, the age of 12. Uh, and then I went back to England for my education and uh, studied there, went to university there, the University of Essex and did a computer science degree. Okay, cool. So you had a pretty traditional path to tech, computer science in college and then what sort of happened after college to lead you down the path of where you are today? Yeah, interesting. So um, I did computer science and back, this was, you know, I'm dating myself, but, you know, back in the 80s, uh, it was, you know, a popular field, but the notion of the PC was just coming to the fore. And the, some of the best jobs that were available at the time were in, as engineers programming. So I got a job with uh, Fidelity the large investment firm as one of the programmers. And unfortunately, this was 1987 and the stock market crashed. <laughs> and so uh, they had hired 12 graduates uh, through their graduate program. And I was one of the two or three that they kept after the stock market crashed, which I felt very fortunate at the time. Uh, but then I realized soon after that uh, my colleagues who had been let go got one year's pay and they all went and had fun for a year <laughs> <laughs> while, while I ended up continuing my career. But, but I don't regret it at all. It was, been, it was a fantastic run. Uh, so through that, uh, I became an engineer and, you know, the term software engineer 
became sort of more prevalent. Worked on, um, I don't know if uh, the, the audience recalls, but IBM had a product called the AS400, which was very, very popular back then for businesses. And I worked primarily on that platform. But to you know, fast forward through, my career was initially as an engineer. And then I came to the United States via a couple of other countries where I worked temporarily and ultimately joined a company called Sinon, whose focus was really to revolutionize software engineering. Back in the day, you might call it 4GL, computer-aided software engineering type tools. From there, I basically got interested in product management. And I'll pause there uh, before telling the rest of the story. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about how you made the transition to product management. But I want to back up a little bit. So where in England did you grow up? Uh, so I was born in Woking, which is a little suburb just outside of London. And do you still have family both in England and in Singapore? Yes, I have a lot of family in Singapore and family in England as well. Uh, my aunt still lives in England and I grew up with her. But most of my family is all over the world. We're quite a geographically dispersed family. I got the opportunity to visit Singapore a few times when I was at SolarWinds. And the best advice I got about visiting Singapore was to bring some large stretchy pants because the food there is just fantastic. The best I've ever had in the world. We always talk about the Singapore 10 because if you go over there for a week, come back 10 pounds heavier. Yeah, exactly. I kind of feel the same way about Austin, Texas, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> right now, when I visit, uh, I'm, I live in the Bay Area. So Active Track, as I mentioned, you know, we help companies work wiser. Uh, but we're also at the forefront of this remote work revolution, right? So our data uh, platform helps companies support their employees in a remote work environment. And I myself personally, as the chief product officer, live and work in the San Francisco Bay Area. So given the pandemic, um, I've only visited uh, Austin three times, but I've already, as you say, gained 10 pounds. It seems that every time someone wants to visit Austin, the first place we take them to is barbecue. And it's pretty hard not to gain weight eating Texas barbecue, I have to say. Um, I've gained a lot of pounds since I moved here. And I'd always planned to leave Texas at some point, but I married a local girl and she has a lot of family here, and now I have a grandson here, and so uh, I may be trapped in Texas for quite a long time. But Singapore just, every time I hear about Singapore, I just go back to the chili crab sitting on the side of the beach, and it just takes me back to some really great memories. You were talking about your transition from software engineer to product manager. Can you talk a little bit about how you made the transition and maybe some obstacles that you faced and how you got past those? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, and, and, uh, and I've given this kind of talk, I guess, uh, multiple times for people who are engineers and aspire to move into product management. The interesting thing is that the first six months, let's say, of product management is you sort of having a split personality if you're an engineer. Because you always view marketing and to the lesser extent product management as the dark side, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the unrealistic requirements, the positioning of capabilities that the product does not really do. As an engineer, I was very frustrated because I felt like we had state of the art technology. And rightly or wrongly, you know, I blamed the marketing <laughs> for not being able to sell the product and accentuate. Uh, its capabilities for the audience. So I would go to conferences and do technical presentations. I would uh, work the booth uh, with our, my marketing colleagues and, and really win people over right, with the technical capabilities of the platform. So one day the VP of marketing came down and tapped me on the shoulder and said, look, 
rather than you complaining about marketing all the time, why don't you join the marketing departments and product management specifically? And I had no clue what product management was. This was back in the uh, sort of early 90s, right? And, uh, and I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, it's kind of like being a little bit of a CEO of your own little company, right? Because you have to work with all sorts of groups and departments. You have to be able to relate to customers and engage with partners. And you're running really your focus of cost and profit. And so if you ever want to become an executive or become you know, someone that uh, helps drive the strategy of a company, this is the path you should take. And you can do a lot more uh, and, and, and have a greater impact at this level if you take this path. So I jumped uh, feet first into it and haven't looked back. Wow. I haven't worked in a company in quite a while where product rolls up to marketing. And so I didn't make the connection when you first said that about where you were kind of grouping product mark management and marketing together, but I can totally see that. You know, trade shows are really interesting for developers. I, I've found that when I bring a dev team with me to a trade show, for some people, it's a very stressful experience. They don't really like the interaction. It's uncomfortable for them. But some people really thrive in that environment and are very, very eager to converse with those customers and have a, and gain a deeper understanding of how they use the product and how it may, might be you know, used to improve their lives. Super, super interesting transition you made there. So once you've made the transition to product, did you ever go back or did you kind of stay in that path? No, I stayed in the path. And let me complete sort of my comment around split personality. So exactly to your point, Josh, you're either comfortable interacting with people or, you know, you might have more of an introverted personality and, and feel more comfortable coding and great at that. And engineers are amazing. And I was one myself uh, focused on the code and, you know, not really interacting as much with the customers directly. But one of the things that I found as an engineer, and I tell every single engineer this uh, when they think about making the transition. For the first six months, you find yourself arguing with yourself a lot and essentially saying, well, that's just not possible. Because as an engineer, you know how hard it is to do something. And as a product manager, it's your responsibility to suspend reality, quite frankly, right? And to find out what is really truly desired in the marketplace, what the competition is doing, what your customers need and want, and to allow and to ask the engineers to execute on that requirement. If you are too close to either the architecture or the resourcing that's available, you won't make the ask and your job is not to hold back. And so if you're moving from engineering into product management, you will argue with yourself all the time. And in fact, you might even sit on the engineering side of the table for the first six months and essentially you know, not help the company by doing your job as a product manager. Uh, but gradually, you begin to understand that the requirements and the actual ability to execute needs to be clearly delineated. And it's great to have the empathy for the engineering team and what their pressures are and what their needs are. In fact, that is a strong, strong skill and technical background to ingratiate yourself with your engineers, to make sure that they know that you are empathetic with them. Uh, but your primary responsibility to the company and to the leadership team is to drive the requirements and the priorities. I've always found it interesting that as a product manager, as you said, you have to suspend reality in some cases when you're working with engineering, but also when you work with customers, sometimes you have to listen through what they're saying that they want in order to understand what they need. And interpreting 
desires to needs and then translating that to requirements that you know the engineering team may quite frankly think are impossible to start with but giving them the flexibility to go explore that and that creativity I think that's what I love about product management the most. It's bridging that gap between the consumers and the and the market and your engineering team and and trying to get that perfect mix of giving people what they need that can answer what they ask for and at the same time doing it in a very agile way that gets, you know, slightly better over time. I, I think great products have done that for many, many years, started very lean gotten better over time. And what you can do in a matter of years is just amazing with today's technology. Yes, it is. It is absolutely amazing. And I, I, I think you've touched on a very key point. The ability for a product manager to gather the requirements from customers, the marketplace, competition, and all the variables, and to distill that down into a key set of requirements is, in fact, the crux of the job. It's important to note that the customers don't always know the best way to do things. They know what they want uh, for the most part, but they can only see how it can, for the most part, be done given the framework of what they're aware of in terms of what your product can do. And your job as a product manager is not to literally take their requirements and say, hey, I need a button here, but is to get down and interview them sufficiently so that you understand what is the outcome they're looking for and not how it should be implemented within the product. Because we often find that the desired outcome is not the same as the feature request. Mm -hmm. And I think that process is key. Too often, I think people who get into product managers management end up just capturing and funneling requirements and being a go-between, right, between the customer and engineering. And you're not really doing the customer or engineering justice by basically saying, you know, these are the exact features that the customer is looking for. It's better for engineering to understand what is the desired outcome because the engineers are the smart ones. The engineers are the innovators. The engineers are the ones that can look at that and go, wow, I can completely provide something that's much better, in fact, than what you're asking for, given those requirements and the desired outcome. That's a really key point. You know, and, and I've found that in startups, especially in early stage companies, when you're still trying to figure out what the magic recipe is for these customers, it's so important to give your engineering team that space to be creative and to come up with solutions that surprise you and delight in ways that you didn't expect. And I think for many people, they haven't experienced that, especially if you've only led product in a very mature sort of old school engineering team, maybe with an offshore team where you do fixed price projects. You know, in those cases, you're delivering requirements that are small books. I've written requirements that are three, 400 pages long, and they're very, very specific around what you need built. And I just don't have very much fun doing that. I think that for me, the fun part of being a product manager is working with you, like you said, with the people in engineering who can really have an opportunity to think outside the box and to try to solve problems in a way that maybe you didn't expect. I think PMs have to be you know, so intellectually curious and so capable of empathy, both for their customers and their engineering teams, that it's just a, it's a very, very unique role. And I applaud anyone out there who's doing a PM role because it's challenging and, and we never have enough product managers uh, in the space. So if you're young out there, you're hearing the podcast, it's a great career field to pursue. A lot of people start out in software engineering as Ramon did. Some people start out in marketing and other fields, but product management is just a great career, uh, in my opinion. 
Let's switch and talk a little bit more about ActiveTrack. I know that, you know, five years ago, a lot of companies would have used a product like ActiveTrack to provide data on their employees that were in the office, but maybe they didn't have very good visibility into how they spent their day. Fast forward five years, post-COVID, it's a very, very different world. And I think what you guys are doing in ActiveTrack is just fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about how ActiveTrack has evolved and sort of how you're helping enterprises today deal with remote work and productivity challenges and burnout and all the things that you help with. Sure. Yeah. I mean, ActiveTrack has been around for, for nigh on sort of 10 to 12 years and has a very, very loyal, amazing set of customers. And, you know, we're helping them gain visibility into workplace activities that ultimately support two things in this age of remote work, employee flexibility and leadership visibility. Because, you know, every day you open the Wall Street Journal or your app on the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and there's this huge debate. Do I make my employees come back into the office? And will my employees quit? And uh, employees are saying, well, you know, I love the way this is right now. I feel I'm just as productive. And leadership is saying, well, I can't see you. I don't understand if it's working or not. And therein lies what ActiveTrack is um, aiming to achieve, to provide both the employee flexibility as well as the leadership visibility so everybody can have a win-win situation. Maybe you could give an example of you don't have to mention the customer name, obviously, but a, an enterprise you're working with and how ActiveTrack has been able to revolutionize how they view remote work in this you know, environment. Sure. So um, no surprise, right, given the sort of, you know, uh, shift towards desires to, uh, to be remote from the employee level, employers have to, you know, somewhat find a balance between keeping those employees because it's so easy now for them to pick up and move to another job that would offer them that flexibility while keeping the visibility as I mentioned around is the work achieving the output being achieved commensurate with the change and the adjustment in terms of the location and the physical locality. So one such customer is embracing it, completely embracing it and looking at the need for not only supporting the employees in a remote basis, but actually shutting down offices and reclaiming back real estate costs. Uh, so that is a huge benefit for them financially and operationally, which they can plow back into the business and use some of those funds to support the employees in terms of home office setup and so on and so forth. But even more importantly, they are thinking well in terms of employee well-being because just because the employee feels, oh, this is great, I can work from home, and then I'm sure you've experienced it, Josh, yourself, you know, there's a lot of personal activity that's going to occur during your time at home that could cause you to be stressed out even more than you are if you were actually able to get into an office and find a little sort of safe space in terms of focused time. So it's not possible without a technology and a platform like ActiveTrack for such companies to be aware of how the employee is responding day to day. So our technology is able to measure things like uh, focus time, you know, is Slack or Zoom killing us? It's productive and it's needed in this age of remote work, but is the employee getting distracted, interrupted more often? than if they were sitting at their cube, right, in, in a physical location. Another example is just because it's so easy now to go to back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back Zoom meetings, 
Are people suffering from Zoom fatigue? And are people just accepting meetings because they feel they have to? Because, you know, in the office, you could maybe decline a meeting because you could say, I'm working on something. But if you're invited virtually, is somebody feeling obligated in order to do that? And are they actually engaging in these meetings? So there's a litany of data that's available, both for the individual through ActiveTrack. We have a capability called Personal Insights, which gives you a daily digest, like a Fitbit, if you will, report on your digital activities. It's funny, you know, when I interviewed or when I first started interviewing for ActiveTrack, I downloaded our free offering, uh, which anybody here, uh, and I would encourage you to do so on this webcast if you have some time, and looked at my own work habits. And it was shocking to me to see how much distraction and interruption I was engaged with on a weekly basis. It was shocking to me the number of Zoom meetings that I was in where I was really doing something else. I mean, I logged in, but I was working on the document on the side. And so I started declining those meetings and I started to adjust and shut off my Slack like we've done here for this particular call. And it really made me feel empowered to claim back my time. And that made me more efficient, which obviously benefited my employer. But then I also felt more relaxed. I, you know, I, it, it was really, really uh, game changing for me. And, you know, so I joined the company because, you know, how could you not, right? If you're looking at some piece of technology that is changing your personal work habits, it can do wonders for everybody else. And that's why I joined. I think it's fascinating. And I love what ActiveTrack does. I had a similar experience when I first heard of ActiveTrack. I installed the application, the free version, and tried it out for myself. We talk a lot about remote workforce and what that implies, but it's important, I think, for people to remember that working remote isn't just about geography. It isn't just about that you're in a different place than your coworkers. For me, at least, when I work remote, it also means that I've deconstructed the concept of a workday. There's no put on some music, have a cup of coffee, drive to the office, get into work mode. On my way home, I would typically call a family member, have a non-business conversation while I'm in my commute. That's my way of downshifting out of work mode into home mode. Then I have my evening. But now that I work remote full time, I've found that there's virtually no difference between a meeting at 7 a.m. and a meeting at 11 p.m. And when I work with a global team as I do, you know, time zones become sort of irrelevant and you just have to manage are you getting enough rest? Are you getting enough food? Are you having enough focus time? Are you providing windows of time where you're not focused, but where you're widely available to your team to hit you up over Slack if they need your help? I've struggled with it. I can tell you as someone who has struggled with anxiety throughout my life, the pressure of trying to balance all the requirements and the added stress of dealing with COVID uh, from a remote work environment, it's been tough. And so I, I love that products like this are designed not just to help the business and to empower the executive team to have better analytics, but also with the individual in mind. And typically what I find is that people think about products like this as a way to provide a measurement for their least performant workers. But what I find is that the companies that really get a lot of value out of it are doing the opposite. They're helping to optimize performance for their star players because those are the people that really get you through the tough times. Yeah, I think that's completely true. I mean, there are companies in regulatory industries that require a certain level of accountability and audit uh, just because of the nature of the data uh, that they're managing. And, you know, there are companies that are looking to make sure that they're sort of getting productive work uh, out of their 
full-time employees or in many cases, non-exempt employees where they're being compensated on an hourly basis. But I think those are a little and far, far between. And increasingly, as you say, Josh, this is literally the next level up, right, for your star performers and for those of who want to improve. Right. Just like, you know, your Fitbit takes your fitness to the next level with data and metrication. This uh, and I love this term from Gartner improves your digital dexterity. Right. We send our kids to school and they're learning about math. And, you know, my kids are in fifth grade right now and they're learning the basics. But nobody is going to teach them how to balance all these apps that are in front of them. Right. Today, they're already getting sucked into YouTube and stuff like that. And. Just the nature of them growing up, they're being digitally capable because they know how to use an iPad, they know how to use all these devices, but they don't know what is the optimal way uh, to combine all this stuff and where to shift and place your attention. And I would go a step further to say that your digital dexterity will really vary by your role. If you're in marketing, it's perfectly fine for you to be working amongst certain websites that will help you in your job. Whereas, you know, if you're in sales or in engineering, you may have a different set of technologies and tools. And with your managers and your team not being aware of how you're doing with those tools, there's a huge gap in terms of, you know, you paid the subscription for these great SaaS tools, but are people using them in the most effective manner? And you can't tell unless you have tools like ActiveTrack that can give you visibility into you know, am I spending two hours on a particular application and not really getting the same level of benefit out of it that I would expect? You know, as an individual entrepreneur and small business owner, I try to do a subscription audit twice a year and, and see if I'm really using the apps I'm paying for. You know, in an organization with hundreds or thousands of employees, employees that can self-select SaaS apps to help them do their job better, I cannot imagine how hard it would be to do that audit and discover where you might have apps that you're paying for and you aren't using or apps you should use differently. Uh, that's a great use case for ActiveTrack that I really haven't heard talked about very much, but it seems like something people should lean into. One of the other things, as my career evolved, I started to focus in on one particular part of software as my core competency and, and my full career path, and that's data management. So I've been around data management for 30 years now as an engineer as well as uh, a marketer and a product manager. And data is the new oil, data is, you know, sunshine for solar, you know, whatever the analogy, right? Uh, but data truly is the key. And ActiveTrack is a data platform, first and foremost, right? It has a very, very friendly employee-facing and manager-facing user interface, as most tools do. But the heart and soul is the data platform and the bringing together of the data from across multiple sources in order to glean these new insights. And uh, what's key about this is that the information that's used to drive the different habits and adjustments throws up a whole layer of solutions. Whether you're using it for employee well-being and engagement, whether you're using it for planning operational shutdown of real estate to make sure that you have a baseline so that you can make adjustments if necessary, and then for, for IT and technology, a byproduct is of the visibility you get from the activities, you can see which applications are being touched or not. And that leads to, Josh, your description of, hey, well, maybe nobody's using this thing. Why don't we shut it down? 
You know, I think that the remote work movement feels like old news. It's been a year and a half since we started working from home with COVID. We kind of started going back to the office in, in many cases over the summer. Now we're dealing with the Delta variant. And so most offices have put the brakes on that and we're back to working remote. I think it may be a more current issue that I'd love to hear your perspective on is what people are calling the great resignation. And I have spoken to over 100 people in the last 90 days who are planning career changes and moving forward what they're doing. For enterprises out there that are worried about this, that are trying to curb attrition and really retain their, their key employees, how would ActiveTrack fit into that scenario? So ActiveTrack first and foremost, uh, is employee-centric. We do everything with the benefit of the employee in mind because we feel like um, it's necessary for the employee to embrace the understanding of their digital activities, habits, behaviors, to achieve digital dexterity. Then ultimately, the entire organization benefits. So that is our mantra. That is our mission, a focus on the employee in two ways, right? Uh, the first way, I, as I mentioned earlier, is burnout, right? If you're not aware of all of the pressures and all of the digital bombardments that you're getting from working remote, you're likely to burn out. And burnout means maybe I need a new job because I'm not able to cope with the pressures in my existing job situation. Similarly, I think that when you're frustrated with the use of technology and tools to do your job, and this, this ties into sort of being aware and, and getting coaching and help around, hey, you know, I just gave you this new SaaS tool, but it doesn't look like you're using it very much. And therefore, if you knew how to use it, maybe you wouldn't be so frustrated. So, I mean, these are all sort of indirect benefits to somebody sort of feeling better about their job. But I think it all compounds. And I think that companies that are investing in ActiveTrack have a, the ability to tell their employees that, you know, we're not here to oversee what you're up to. We're here to help you. We're here to provide coaching where necessary. We're here to actually tell you to actually take vacation, right? Because we can see that you're overworked based upon your digital footprints and your activity. We're here to basically tell you to take breaks. We're here to tell you to attend less Zoom meetings where it's unnecessary. And when you have that as a focus, the HR department, uh, and tying that to employee surveys, which are more qualitative and active track is more quantitative data. If you marry the two together, you now have people feeling cared about and wanted at their place of work, which hopefully will reduce attrition. I think that seeing that your employer has signed up for active track is a big sign telling you that your employer cares. They care about how you're working. They care about how you're doing. And I think that oftentimes for high performers, for people that are always at the top of, of their food chain for their team, these times are hard because it is very easy to not take breaks. I've sat at my desk from seven in the morning till eight at night without eating sometimes, without realizing that the sun had gone down. And I find that when I talk to people who are thinking about making a career change or even just changing jobs, oftentimes they view that as the only way to get a break. They'll say, well, look, I need to take a month off and reset, so I'm going to resign. I'm going to look for a job in a few weeks. I need to catch my breath. And what I would tell these people is, look, talk to your employer, talk to your manager about how you're feeling, because in many cases, your employer will say, look, why don't you take a break? And, and then you can come back and work when that break is done. 
It's really interesting to me that we've, as organizations, we've had to find ways to force people to take time off. I read uh, an article, I think it was this week, that Nike had closed down for a week and forced all their employees to take a week off to recuperate. And I saw that Bumble did it. I think Spanx did it. There have been many, many companies that have said, look, we're going to just catch our breath here because if you don't shut down, it can be very hard for everyone to actually take that break. But I don't know that I would have foreseen that during a time like this, during a global crisis, that one of the challenges we would have is that our people want to work too hard. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure, right? So in a hybrid work environment, I think people feel that they might have to work a little harder than people who are in the office to get along. You know, there's there's obviously sort of the office politics still. You, those things kind of are, you know, never go away. But, you know, um, I think people feel that in exchange for working from home, let's say, in, in this notion of, of what also Gartner calls the new employee deal, right? They feel like they have to put in the extra, right? which is very commendable. But, you know, for most employees and certainly at ActiveTrack for our employees, we're, we're not expecting over the top additional work, right? We're remote first. Whether you're in the office or whether you're working remotely, the same productivity, the same outcomes, it has to be equitable, right? There's gender equality, there's, you know, all sorts of fairness around race and so forth. I think location equality needs to come into play at some point as well, right? And I just made that term up. But it's it, but it's this concept where you should not be discriminated against whether you're working remotely or not, because you are equally qualified. And the mechanism with all the digital technologies to allow you to contribute are completely the same. I think this is, in my opinion, Probably the biggest change for tech workers we're going to see in my lifetime. Because now that everyone has learned that it's possible to work from home and in, you know, knowledge worker jobs, many people will keep doing that even post pandemic. It sort of changes the lens that we look at our teams through. And I think for me, having employees in the US as well as workers in Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, Africa, Eastern Europe. When I experience these people through the same Zoom platform and we're working the same hours, um, at some point, we're going to start seeing a levelization of how we compensate people, uh, regardless of where they are. And, you know, I've worked with Upwork for several years. And five years ago, the way that they really talked about the company was, look, you can find a great resource who's very skilled at what they do. But for whatever reason, they prefer to work from home and they live in a small town or on a farm somewhere or something like that. And so you could get great talent for a much discounted rate because that person lived in an area that was much less expensive to live and they wanted to work from home. I've had employees on my team that had um, horrible migraines triggered by fluorescent lighting and they had to work from home. I've had employees on my team that had other special needs due to you know, handicaps and things that force them to not work in a, in a traditional office environment. And as you said, now we've, we've created this level playing field for everyone. We're really just learning how to deal with this. I think what's interesting about ActiveTrack to me and, and what the problem I see most remote workers facing is that seldom do I see a problem where it's about intent. Meaning I've seldom seen problems where the remote worker has intended to be less productive by working remote or something like that. In most cases, the intent is there to be highly productive, but the skill set just isn't there on how to do that in this new environment. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Which is which is again where Active Track comes into play, right? It is it is gathering the data for the benefit and uh, ultimately the improvements, the continuous culture of improvement that can be afforded to you once you're either self-aware or your manager uh, is aware and can help you. You know, if if the manager can see that you're um, digitally stressed, if you will. Right, because of your sort of increase in overutilization and activities and the number of hours that you're cranking out, he or she could balance it out by requesting help from colleagues, right, who may have some cycles. Uh, so it's the great equalizer, I think, in that regard. And what I find very interesting is the culture that could shift from well being being incorporated into the uh, analysis of the data, as Active Track does. So that PTO is celebrated, right? Not a hand wave that says, oh, you should really take PTO. But, you, you know, we all say this, and I've done this as a manager, but I don't follow through on it because I don't have the data and I trust the employee to be self-regulating, right? And when you take a survey and you ask, are you working too hard? Some people might say, yes, I am. Others might say, no, I'm fine. But often, you know, a lot of people who really work long hours are not self-aware and they persist to say, I'm okay, I don't need the time off. And it's obvious, sometimes it's a badge of honor to not even take PTO. How often have you heard somebody say, well, I haven't taken a vacation in like uh, 18 months, right? And we don't want that, right? As employers and as fellow human beings, we want people to go take their break, to be re-energized and then to kind of avoid them getting burned out. I think that culturally, for many of us that grew up in, in poor parts of the world, where everyone had at least two jobs. When you grow up that way, and then you move into a career like a, as a knowledge worker or in tech, where now you only have one job, and it pays you enough money where you don't need a second job, but you still have this ingrained practice that you've built up of working 12-hour days, five and a half or six days a week, every week. I mean, for years, and, and even now, my normal weekend ends Sunday around three, and that's when I start working to plan for the following week. And as a high-performance executive, I think a lot of people get into those rhythms and they forget how important it is to disconnect and recharge. I think for me, it became very apparent during the lockdown because it was so easy to get up, get a shower, walk into my office, work 12, 14 hour days, and just do that over and over and over and over. And finally I realized, wow, I've got to have a change of scenery at least every couple of weeks. Just get out of the house, go work somewhere else, work in a coffee shop, go work at a WeWork, work at a, a friend's house. I've done lots of things to be creative, but it's, it is really challenging. And the fact that users can go out and try Active Track on their own for free and use it for themselves is a big boon. I hope everyone out there, if your company doesn't offer Active Track, you should ask them about it, but you can go ahead and try it yourself. As Ramon said, for me, it was very, very eye-opening to have the data about how I spend my day. And there were many surprises for me. For example, you know, I spend way too much time on LinkedIn. Uh, it tends to be a big, a big time suck for me. And what I also found is that because I worked in call centers and you know network engineering and operations for a while, I really like the how would I say the firefighting feeling of being in Slack all day. You know, I'm an investor, so I've got a couple dozen companies. I'm on all their workspaces. Anytime someone wants to ask a question, they come to me with questions. And I can spend all day just answering Slack questions. It's not very productive. It might be helpful in some cases. Um, but I had no idea where I was really spending my time until I used ActiveTrack. 
Yeah, I think you know we hear this uh, from 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 customers and and their employees, right? How it's really given them sort of and empowered them with the insights insights that they need uh, in order to to get uh, better and more efficient. You know, so it's really you know there's only so much time in in a day, right? You talk about a twelve hour day, and and, and um, many of us have experienced that, but really you want to be able to squeeze more out of that day, right? And how can you do it? Well, it's simple things like basically, instead of being distracted by Slack, containing, as you had previously mentioned, it to a specific time so that you don't have to reset context, right? In, and focus on things that you need to achieve. And you'll find that even if you could recover with ActiveTrack 20 minutes of time that you've invested context switching, all of a sudden, that 12 hours becomes 11 hours and 40 minutes, becomes 11 hours, becomes 10 hours. And that's the idea here is to not make you work harder, but to make you work wiser. I love it. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? Uh, no, except uh, I think, you know, we started off the discussion about my career in product management. I, I'm always open to um, sharing uh, my experiences. So uh, anybody out there who is considering a uh, field in product management. Uh, we are hiring, <laughs> by the way, uh, across the board at ActiveTrack. So I encourage you to take a look and understand what we're trying to do here. And we'd love for you to come and help us support uh, this new future of work that we're looking at. Well, I love the team at ActiveTrack. You have a stellar executive team. I know several people there. For anyone out there listening, if you're thinking about making a career change, I'd highly recommend you give ActiveTrack uh, a look to check out the website. Ramon, this has been a joy today. I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Josh. That's it, everyone. And thank you for joining Capital Geek. Subscribe via Apple, Stitcher, or any platform where you usually find fantastic podcasts. Tune in again soon for another great episode of Capital Geek.